you please stand for the reading of God's word? From Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be enrolled, each to his own town. And Joseph too went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David that is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were shepherds in that region living in the fields and keeping the night watch over the flock. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were struck with great fear. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you, who is Messiah and Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was a great multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels went away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go then to Bethlehem to see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told to them about this child. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told to them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. Have a seat. I need to steal this, Jeff. I'm sorry. Or Frank. I'm glad you're here tonight. I'm glad you're here tonight, not just because you could have chosen to be watching something else, maybe like a football game. I am aware there's a game on right now and you chose to be here, uh, but not just that. I'm glad you're here tonight. I'm glad you chose to be here tonight um, because it is good for us to focus on Christ. And this is a season where focus is difficult. And tonight, Luke tells us to focus on Mary. I wish I was more like Mary. This time of year especially kind of becomes difficult for me to focus. I, I can feel bad for not being festive enough. I'm a little grinchy sometimes, uh, but then I can feel bad for maybe like not being religious 
enough. I can feel bad for not paying attention to my extended family enough. I can feel bad for not putting enough hours in work. Uh, This season, for some reason for me, as the magic of Christmas wanes, um, the feeling of not measuring up increases. I don't know what to do about it. But Luke says, look at Mary. Luke writes the longest birth narrative of Jesus, but when it comes down to it, it's just two paragraphs. Paragraph one, Luke places Jesus in real historical time. Luke is a historian, and he wants us to know that he's done his homework. He puts Jesus in the time of Caesar Augustus, who was not his birth name. Caesar Augustus has put on that name, and that name means son of God. And this man who walks around calling him son of God has appointed Quirinius of Caesar of Syria to be the governor over the area where Joseph and Mary must go be counted. Luke places this birth narrative of Jesus in a worldwide census. Everyone under the mortal threat of the one who calls him son of God must go and stand before Caesar's men and say, this is who I am. This is who's in my family. This is how much property I own. And if the power of Caesar, son of God, wasn't enough, you had to go and expose all of who you are. There's no privacy in Caesar's time. Uh, But Luke doesn't just do this just to prove to us that he's done his homework. Luke also wants to set what is happening to Jesus in the midst of a different history, the history of God's prophets who have said, this is what will happen. And little does Caesar Augustus know, but he is playing right into God's plan. Luke wants us to know that Joseph and his young pregnant fiance must go to Bethlehem. And they want us to know that Luke, the historian, needs us to know that the birth of Jesus happens in the midst of a chaotic and scary time when God's people did not have any autonomy over their own bodies or where they would give birth to their children. Luke does all of this in a matter of a few short sentences, but then he ends this first paragraph of Jesus' birth narrative by bringing our attention back to Mary. I want to see if we can see her there tonight. Can we see Mary on this holiest of nights, exhausted from giving birth, outside of a guest house, in a manger. And look at what she is doing. She is wrapping her newborn son in linens. She is hoping he falls asleep. She is watching him. Paragraph two shifts our attention from the world's most important people who can tell everyone else what to do to those who often are forgotten. Shepherds are tending their flock at night, and we might ask the question, if everyone in the known world must go to the town where they were born, why don't the shepherds? 
Well, they were literally so unimportant that they didn't count. They didn't care if shepherds registered. They had nothing to offer Rome. Tonight, an angel of God comes to these, the most unimportant people, and he gives them a paradoxical message. I don't know if we've noticed this before, but, but at first the angel says, don't be afraid, for behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Then the angel says, for tonight, in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you, who is Messiah and Lord. And before they can say, wait, who's the baby born for? <laughs> that doesn't make much sense. Before they can take a step towards Bethlehem, heaven explodes. The sky rips open with more angels and they are shouting and singing praises to God. They are saying glory to God in the highest and on peace and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The shepherds run to Bethlehem and they find Mary and Joseph and the infant lying there in the manger just like the angel said. Luke does not resolve for us this apparent contradiction that the Savior is for the whole world and also somehow for them, these most unimportant people. Luke does not feel the need to explain why it was okay for a bunch of men to burst into the room in which a woman has just given birth. He just puts our focus back on Mary. Mary looks at her son and she holds all of these things in her heart like the world's greatest treasure. Jesus' birth narrative is chaotic. Christmas has always been a little frenetic and confusing. And in the midst of this, Luke says, look at Mary. Mary and Jesus are sitting in the eye of a hurricane in the midst of global unrest, political domination, and what seems to be the very heavens ripping apart in front of us. There, Luke brings our attention back to the one who keeps her attention on Christ. Can we see her tonight wrapping him in linens? Can we see her treasuring him in her heart? Jesus, there asleep on the hay, is completely dependent on his mother Mary as most infants are. And this makes our God strange. Gods, by rule, by definition, do not need human beings. Gods might mess with human beings. God might sometimes come down and become, like, interested in human beings, but they always leave because we kind of bore them. Gods do not need humans. So what kind of God decides to show up as a baby, completely dependent on his mother? Before the night is over, Mary will feed God. Mary will change God 
burp God. She holds God in her hands. And it might even feel a little sacrilegious to say tonight, but, but tonight, God falls asleep on the chest of his teenage mother listening to her heartbeat. And don't we wish Luke would tell us exactly what Mary was thinking in that moment as she treasured all these things in her heart? I think I know. I think um, she feels special. She has been given the privilege of participating in God's family in a way that no one else ever has. She has been invited by God for God to be dependent on her. God invites us to be a part of God's family. And this is what makes God strange. And this is also what Christmas is about. God's family is not nuclear. It is global. Unwed teenage mothers are God's family. Shepherds are God's family. Those who the powerful forget to count are God's family. Most gods reign in far-off places, but this God chooses not to be God without us. The best gift you will ever receive in your entire life is an invitation to be a participant in the family of God. For unto us this night a Savior is born. Unto us tonight a Savior is born who will be for the whole world joy. God wants us to participate in the family of God as intimately as Mary. Well, it's a big task. Mary's in charge of raising God into adulthood. And tonight there's a lot of stress swirling all around her. She could worry that she won't measure up. She sits there in the eye of a hurricane and treasures the one who has caused her to be a part of God's family. It's a mystery. It almost makes no sense at all. God chooses not to be God without Mary. And God chooses to not be God without us. And I wonder if we can take that in tonight. I'm going to come over here to this, this wreath where we'll do communion. And I wonder if we can just do what Mary does. We could worry about how we should participate in God's family. We could worry about a great many things that we're not measuring up. But tonight, I want us just to do what Mary does. I want us to treasure Jesus in our hearts for just a moment. Later on in his life, he will hold a last supper where he will invite his closest followers to be a part of his family. 
And, and like Mary, he, he will invite them to really participate in his body. And so if you have a communion cup, I want you to get this out. And I want you to, I know it's plastic and it's like a rip and sip and it's weird, but I want you to look at this little piece of bread. At that dinner that night, Jesus does not say this bread is representative or will be forever a symbol of my body. Jesus says, this is my body. And Jesus says, this is my blood. In some ways tonight that we can't explain, the one who has chosen to be a part of our family and invite us into the family of God also makes that body available for us to behold him, to treasure him in our hearts and to feel the specialness of who he is and who he has caused us to be. Church, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Receive the body of Christ. Church, this is the blood of Christ poured out for you. Receive the blood of Christ.